Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I'm curious this morning. I've asked a few of you about your celebrations and um, one said it didn't happen yesterday, but the other day, not that day, but the other day, so I think some of us have been celebrating uh, all week long. But I'm curious, who here this morning still has uninspected stockings and unwrapped gifts waiting until after worship? All right, so uh, there's a good number of us who still... Uh, Christmas isn't over yet. For some of us, though, today marks the end. The end of the decorations, events, festivities, the tasks that have added stress to our lives. Ever since the costumes were put away and the cobwebs were wadded up and discarded. Have you ever considered, though, that Christmas Day is not the end? But Christmas Day is the beginning of an entire season. I've heard tell, but never known a family that waited until Christmas Eve to put up a tree. Is there anyone here that that has been your practice? The tree doesn't go up until Christmas Eve? See, in my faith tradition, Advent was not a word that we used very much. But then, when I learned of Advent that celebrates the coming, I began to use Advent and Christmas season synonymously. Until I learned that, technically, Advent ends when Christmas begins. Advent is the season leading up to the Christ Mass, and much like Lent is the time leading up to Resurrection Day. In many Latin and European cultures, they don't make a big deal out of Christmas Day. They make a big deal out of Three Kings Day. January 6th begins the celebration in the real time of gift giving. In some strict families, 
No tree is brought into the home until after the priest has performed the Christ Mass, which then begins the 12 days leading up to January 6th. Therefore, today is not the end of the season, it is just the beginning. The nativity of the Christ child is not the end of the story, it is the beginning of a life that leads to fullness. The Latin title for this song that is in front of us in Luke chapter 2 is called the Nunc Dimittis, which is Latin for now I can depart. For Simeon, that we just saw in the video behind us, the Christ event was the conclusion of his life. When he saw the Christ, he says, Now, Sovereign Lord, I can die because it is complete. But for us, the appearance of the child Christ was not a conclusion. For us, it is the introduction into life in the Spirit and mission for God's kingdom. If you've ever seen the movie Talladega Nights, and this reference is not a recommendation, the movie contains uh, attempts at humor that are crude and unnecessary. But because I've already seen some smiles, I know some of you have already seen the movie. And you may recall, if you've seen the movie, that the lead actor prays to sweet little baby Jesus because he prefers the innocent baby image to any of the images of Christ in the rest of the scripture. Too many people, even those who will admit to the true meaning of Christmas today, leave the baby in the manger. But today's text forces us to admit that there was much that happened after the shepherds left. For Simeon, the beginning of the Christ event, the Christ event including the incarnation, the atonement, the resurrection, and his ascension, it was all that he needed to know that God would be faithful to make things right. Once the story began, Simeon could trust God that the rest of it would all happen. For Jesus... The incarnation was just the beginning of the Christ event that would include a sinless life, his teaching, his serving, his miracles, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. For Mary, the current joy that we saw in the video would be turned into indescribable sorrow at Calvary. And for us... The rest of humanity, the Christ event, separates us into one of two groups. Those who receive the gift and those who reject the Messiah. Let us look more closely at this sliver that reveals to us the contents of the rest of the plank that we know as the person and the work of Christ. Simeon's words begin where the prophecies find fulfillment. 
For we saw back in verse 26 that Simeon was given a very specific promise. The promise was that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So for him, seeing the Christ was confirmation that the rest was going to happen also. But the appearance of the Christ child in the temple also was a fulfillment of a promise to the nation Israel specifically. We saw in Zacharias' song last week, or two weeks ago, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. At the time that Zacharias spoke his song, his people represented the descendants of Abraham. But before Zacharias spoke these verses behind me, it was prophesied by the prophet Joel that his people would expand to include all flesh, not just the descendants of Abraham. As a matter of fact, we read in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward, after the Messiah comes to us, that I, God, will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So those of us who are not direct descendants from Israel have hope, in the Christ event, because his promise is poured out on all. This all, then, includes all of humanity. It was a specific promise to Simeon. It was a national promise to Israel. But it is also a fulfilled prophetic promise to all of us. For we read in Luke chapter 10 that we saw here in the church last week, the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you news of great joy, which shall be for only the good boys and girls. For I bring you news of great joy that will be for only those people who go to church. The scripture is, when Christ was born, it became good news of great joy for all the people. Because the switch from hopelessness to hopeful had been flipped. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the prophet Joel that I read, Joel chapter 2, just a moment ago, was later quoted by John the Baptist, the son of Zacharias. And John the Baptist says, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We read later that Peter, himself a Jew, preached on Pentecost that God's Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles, most of us in this room, was the fulfilled promise by God through Jewish prophets and heralds of the years. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Acts 2.17 says, And in the last day it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Peter says the prophecy has come true as evidenced on the day of Pentecost. And all of these specific prophetic promises are all part 
of a plan that is unfolding. Too many hold an image of God that he is powerful enough to react to man's decisions, but that idea that God is powerful enough to react elevates man above God. For man makes his decisions, and then God has to react to those decisions. I believe that the God of the Bible, who is not one who reacts to man's decision, but one who has established a plan with a pre-thought response to man's thoughts and actions. Here's the difference. My athletic career spanned three years. In third grade, I played one Little League game that involved an inside-the-park home run. Not because I hit so well, but because the other team could not throw and catch. In the fifth grade, I was involved in three flag football games in our Christian school league in Kansas City. My football career included three defeats. And at this stage of athletics, the athletes don't make many decisions. We just do whatever the coach is yelling at us from the sideline. So after being yelled at in four games, I switched permanently to choir and band. Because in choir and band, it's just a matter of practice and perform. And when we practice and perform, then we don't have to deal with any kind of a defense that is working against us. But athletes who continue past my level learn to read, evaluate, and respond to the different defenses. The coach determines a plan for the game, and the players execute that plan, and they adjust to the circumstances of the defense. A dominant offense can prepare for either man or zone coverage, A good solo athlete can respond. If the other player responds technically, he responds one way. If the other player responds with athleticism, he responds another way. According to their drills and their practices, so that if X happens, I will respond with Y. And I believe that's a better picture of our Almighty God. God does not watch us make mistakes and then say, oh dear, now what am I going to do? God has a plan that says, if man does this, I will respond in this way. If man does that, I will respond in this way. Just as athletes, soldiers, law enforcement drill so that when a situation arises, they can respond rather than react, God has established a plan that permits him to respond to man's rebellion or repentance. The plan is that light would be revealed to all. The reality that God's Messiah would be salvation for all peoples 
was not a reaction to Jewish rejection. It was a scheduled unfolding of God's redemptive plan. God intended that Abraham's descendants would be unique among all the nations. He called them to be a unique people because that was an illustration for us later of what it would look like for us to be Christ followers who do not look like the world. Just as Israel was distinct among the nations, we as Christ followers should be distinct from the system of the world once we have seen the light that God has shown. This was a light for us, but actually it was glory that was being repeated to Israel because Israel had seen God's glory previously. God's presence in the midst of Israel, was not a new experience for the descendants of Abraham. God visited the patriarchs on various occasions throughout the book of Genesis. Sometimes he was adorned in great glory, and sometimes he appeared as an angel or as a man. After the Exodus, God dwelt among his people in the wilderness of sin, as both a cloud by day and a fire by night. His glory rested on the mercy seat when sacrifices were made to atone for the people. Jesus was another expression of God's glory that had already been given among his people. See, the reality is that man's response to revelation and glory can now instigate... A pain. How can me responding to something glorious be a pain? The first thing we see about the pain in Simeon's description in these verses is that it is a cut that separates in verse 34. Very few people were ambivalent about Jesus. His teaching and his miracles forced people to take sides. Either you liked him or you hated him. You couldn't ignore him. When one is hiking in the pastures of our native grasslands, one will encounter many stones. These stones can either be an aid or a hindrance. For the very same stone can lift one up to a better view of the coming terrain, or that very same stone can cause a fall so that a person gets very close inspection of the soil. He says that Christ would be a stone that would divide. Some would rise, others would fall. It's not only a cut that separates, but it's also a cut that hurts in the first part of verse 35. I don't know how much Simeon knew or was blessed to foresee about, God, about Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion. But Simeon definitely sensed something was unique about this child. And he speaks to the child's mother. No, no mother likes to see her child bullied or disregarded. Yes, Mary knew that her son was Messiah, come to save the people from the sin. 
But no, she didn't know that he would walk on water. And she had no idea the extent to which her heart would be broken when Jesus actually endured what he was born to accomplish. She knew some, but she didn't know the extent of the pain that would fall upon her own heart. The naivete with which young people today make wedding vows too often underestimate the pain that that covenant will introduce later. Because the marriage covenant is made by fallen human beings, all the love of the wedding day eventually will give way to irritation, and we will find out what that vow really means. We will find out how painful it is for that vow to stay in place. Because sometimes a cut hurts because we're dealing with human beings. Although Jesus was not fallen, Mary would experience unimaginable pain due to the way that fallen men would react to her son. Simeon says Jesus is a cut that divides It's a cut that hurts, and it's a cut that is a revelation of the hearts of men and women. Just as Jesus could not be ignored in Palestine in the first century, causing some to rise and others to fall, the event that we celebrate today reveals the condition of each of our hearts. Regardless of your emotional state that you experience from gifts or family that are either near or far, your heart is either warmed by the fact that God became a man, took your sin upon himself, and offers you his righteous standing before God, or your heart is indifferent or even inconvenienced by the Christ event. Some of us in this room find the Christ event a reason for joy and for worship. Some of us in this room and listening to my voice find the Christ event as an intrusion into the fun and the revelry. As we move closer to the communion table, I trust your heart is overcome by great joy of God's love for you this day. Today is not the end of the season. Today is the beginning of the celebration. Because today is the next step towards your fuller discipleship and living out the mission of Christ. As stated in my introduction... Christmas Day is not the end. Our Jewish friends continue to light the menorah as testimony of the faithfulness of Adonai, an eight-day festival. Our Orthodox friends, many of whom are born again, continue moving toward Christ until the Magi arrive and they surrender and worship on Three Kings Day. The events that we celebrate on Christmas Day should not be a letdown or a disappointment in any way. This isn't the end of God's love for us. 
The gift of a triune God is a reminder that he invites us to continue to draw near to him as he continues to provide blessings to us and through us. One of those blessings is the communion table, a celebration of bread and wine that reminds us of God's past faithfulness And it proclaims the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, there is nothing magical about the bread or the wine. But there is spiritual nourishment when we do this in faith. When we personalize the teachings and the commands of Scripture and we make them a part of our values by taking them into us through repentance and faith, His truth transforms us from the inside out. In a moment, the elders will be joining me at the front of the church, and we will serve you as a song plays. As the music plays, I invite you to search your own heart, confess to God any sin that may be there, and after we have all been served, we will partake together, being led by a prayer by a couple of our elders. Here at Flint Hills Community Church, we observe what is called open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of this church to participate in the Lord's table. We recognize that the Lord has given the supper to all of his followers, and so we leave it up to you to do business between you and God if you should partake or not. We leave it up to you as parents to decide if your child should participate or not. So with that word of explanation, I'd like to invite our elders to join me at the front of the church as we are served the elements.